You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Listen up, you little freaks. When you're calling your team weak and afraid, it doesn't matter the context. Those are direct challenges to not be weak and not be afraid. Everyone tried to put, you know, shambles in our brains. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. In beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning. Good morning. And Greg Ballack, a.k.a. Laddie, good morning. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live uh, on the first day of November. Happy November, everybody. We're coming to you live from the Kintec Studios. Jason, tell the listeners more about the uh, fine folks at Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is a Tuesday. It is November 1st. October is now in the rear view. The first month of the NHL season is now in the rear view. Probably not a bad thing for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we got a big show ahead. Ahead of tonight's game, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena, Canucks and the visiting New Jersey Devils. At 6.30, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us. Uh, we can talk a little bit about his beloved Devils, but we can also get into a bunch of the other stories in and around the NHL. Uh, we have a new team to throw on the tire fire, the St. Louis Blues. They stink. You can put them right next to the Toronto Maple Leafs and their DEFCON 6 freakout that's going on in Toronto. Talk to Wish about all those stories at 6.30, 7.30. Uh, the Devils play-by-play man, Matt Laughlin, is going to join us here. So we'll preview tonight's opponent. Devils come in to Vancouver, one of the hottest teams in the NHL, have won six of their last seven. Jesper Bratt scoring points at a, at, a, at a very impressive clip. So we'll talk to Matt about all that at 7.30. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer, Thomas Drance from The Athletic and Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Drance has just written an article for The Athletic uh, about how the Canucks could follow the New Jersey Devils remodeling of the blue line because the Devils have remodeled their blue line. In The Athletic, every team that comes into Rogers Arena to play the Canucks, <laughs> The Athletic is like, what can the Canucks learn from this team? They did the almost exact same thing for the Carolina Hurricanes. That's what the season, eight games into the season. What can we learn from our opponents? So, uh, 8 o'clock, Drancer. 7.30, Matt Laughlin. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. Uh, Canucks, Devils, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. I mentioned that. 11 other games in the National Hockey League tonight. So it's a busy night. And the night got busier because game three of the World Series, which we previewed with Dan Schulman yesterday, uh, that didn't happen. They just said, we're not going to play it. I like all that uh, talk we had about Noah Syndergaard is just like canceled now because yeah. he's not going to start. The, the the Phillies were like, uh-huh, rain delay, very good. And then now Noah Syndergaard no longer playing. Well, he'll, he'll dress and maybe he'll get to play. We'll maybe, see. Maybe. Uh, anyway, it's a big show. We got a lot to get into. So without further ado, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. Well, bit of an announcement yesterday. This is bigger than the Vancouver Canucks, really. But uh, for those of you that were wondering what that quote-unquote major announcement was going to be on Monday that was released over the weekend, uh, you found out the Canucks announced a 10-year contract extension for naming rights, regional broadcasting, national broadcasting with Rogers and its Sportsnet subsidiaries. That includes... Us here at Sportsnet 650. I enjoyed how uh, most people were like, boring. Mm, that, was, <laughs> that was the response we were hoping for here at Sportsnet 650. We thought it was going to be a Horvat extension or, I don't know, something juicier than a 10-year corporate agreement. But, you know, for us, uh, it's yeah, great news for us. Certainly nice to have some certainty from our perspective. Um, it is always funny to read the stories and the speculation 
on these types of things about where things might go. And there was a number of stories in, uh, in the media, you know, in the last few months about like, is Sportsnet 650 out of the Canucks play by play rights? And, you know, you chuckle at certain things that you read, uh, but you also kind of legitimately wonder at others, like, oh, really? Are you, where are you hearing from this? Who are you getting <laughs> are, that are from? You, do you, is, your, is your source our bosses? Oh, God. Uh, it makes you, it does make you appreciate what the players go through, only they have to deal with it times a thousand. Yeah, stakes are much higher for players, let's be honest here. We have lives, but not good ones. Well, I mean, we have to pay the bills, we have to... You know the the stakes aren't higher. It's just they they hear about it. Like you know the the speculation about where Canucks radio rights might go to pales a bit into what the Canucks were going to do with J T Miller. Like it pales a little bit. I don't think like Sportsnet six fifty was trending every day on Twitter that sort of thing. But at any rate, very happy to get this uh, deal done. Yeah. So it basically for those that are unaware keeps. The games on the radio through the 2032-2033 campaign. That's the micro as we talk about what's going on here at Sportsnet 650. Obviously, the regional broadcasts with Shorty and Cheech. And then, of course, the naming rights on the building. That all remains the same for another 10-year window. So uh, to all those that have enjoyed the show and have stuck with us as we moved over from one station and started at another, uh, we will hopefully be around for the foreseeable future. And thank you all for supporting us uh, up until this point. Hopefully you'll continue to do it. Uh, As for the actual Canucks stuff yesterday, Canucks did practice on Monday ahead of Tuesday's game. That's, of course, tonight against the New Jersey Devils. Quinn Hughes... I don't think this came as a huge shock, but it was like formally announced that Quinn Hughes has been cleared to return to play after missing a handful of games. Not coincidentally, it comes against the game where his brother and the Devils will be coming into town. And it doesn't look like Brock Besser is going to play tonight. He did practice yesterday, but he wasn't part of any of the special teams. Uh, He was swapping in on the fourth line, I think, uh, in practice. So still a chance, I suppose, that Brock Besser could play tonight, but I don't think so. Uh, Ethan Bear and Jack Stadnika, though, will mm-hmm. debut against the Devils. And we talked about this yesterday. Uh, excited, obviously, to see Ethan Bear. The Canucks have been looking for a puck mover on the right side. Ethan Bear is uh, 25 or 26 25, years old. Yep. Uh, so he is hopefully going to be part of the Canucks solution on the defense and part of the uh, Canucks future going forward. He's going to get a heck of an opportunity. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I watched that game Friday against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think uh, most of you did as well. And you you were probably impressed by a guy like Kyle Burrows and how physical he played, uh, how he was willing to sacrifice the body. He got run into the boards a few times, Mm -hmm. uh, played well, and yet him and Jack Rathbone probably aren't going to play tonight because Ethan Bear could be playing with Riley Stillman. So there's a numbers crunch on the back end right now. And that's the reality of turning over a blue line. And that's what the Canucks management is trying to do. They are pecking away (laughs) at the blue line, making changes to the roster. And this is just something that the Canucks are going to have to deal with. Um, They are probably going to run into more injuries. So it's Better than having too few bodies, but uh, there is a numbers crunch on the back end right now. Yeah, let's hear from Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau. This was at yesterday's practice. Uh, Boudreau talking about one of the newest, the newest acquisitions, Ethan Bear, and what Bear will bring to the defense. Again, all signs point to Bear making his Canucks debut tonight against the New Jersey Devils. Here's Bruce Boudreau. He's, a, he's an NHL defenseman, first of all, and he's the, if he's solid, he can skate and he can move the puck. It's uh, something I think, you know, we've uh, we have in Quinn, but when he's out of the lineup, there's and and you have it in OEL, but you know the other guys are more of a, a hard-nosed defensive kind of core. And uh, in today's world, you need uh, you need those puck-moving defensemen to get it to the forward. So we're hoping that's what he brings. So the pairs. At practice yesterday, had a puck mover, according to Bruce Boudreau, on each pair. You had OEL with Myers, Hughes with Shen, and Stillman with Bear. Mm-hmm. I had wondered if Burroughs might slide over to the left side to play with Bear and the old Burroughs-Bear pairing, but they want to get Riley Stillman 
back in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, up front, Studnika was between Pearson and Hoaglander. Uh, that was the third line in theory. Uh, Nils Amon uh, on the fourth line between Pod Colson and Joshua. Pod Colson's a guy that um, I don't think anyone is sitting there and being super critical of him, but he sure hasn't been playing much. I don't know if he's a favorite of Bruce Boudreaux. I don't know if Bruce Boudreaux trusts uh, Pod Colson. Remember last year when it was Pod Colson and Hoaglander and both those guys were healthy scratches at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it, was it a back to back road trip where Bruce Boudreaux made Hoaglander a healthy scratch one night and then Pod Colson a healthy scratch the next. That is correct. The narrative was that Pod Colson bounced back from that better than Hoaglander did. Right. So if you look at the times on ice for Pod Colson, um, it's actually funny because that last or sorry, it was the Carolina game. The loss in Car- at home to Carolina, mm-hmm. where he got his you know season high. He played almost 19 minutes that night, and then immediately after that, I don't know if they saw something in that Carolina game, or maybe there was like this is going in the wrong direction. He can't play this much. His ice time fell through the floor. Right. It dropped to seven and yeah. ten to the point where you're you're wondering what are, you know. And again, like we're keen observers of the game, but there are obviously <laughs> I know this is hard to believe. There are shockingly many details that we will probably miss on a night to night basis about. What's going on? His he got dropped in a major way, but then I don't know whether it's coincidence or not. His lack of ice time has coincided with two consecutive wins for the Canucks. Yeah. So obviously Boudreaux's seen something there. The coaching staff has seen something there. But um, sophomore slump, I'm not sure. I will say I've had this conversation with a few of my buddies and friends who have asked, like, what's you know, what are the expectations there? And I said, you know, I like I like a lot of the components of his game. Um, but I don't know if you're going to need, or you should have really high expectations, especially on an offensive level that well, he that he'll ever be anything more than a, a good hardworking guy. But I don't think nobody has the offensive upside or quite frankly, the minutes to do that. Now he's still very young in the NHL. Sure. Um, and don't forget there's added competition on the wings. You know, you look at the second line, Pedersen is between Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. Both those wingers for Pedersen are new players to the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And they're obviously going to get a big opportunity in Vancouver. The Canucks paid Mikheyev a a healthy contract, signed him to a healthy contract to come to Vancouver. And then Kuzmenko was their big, you know, it was a a coup to convince Kuzmenko to sign with the Canucks. And they need to sign him again if they want to keep him because he's a a free agent coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, So this New Jersey Devils team – is going to be a challenge for the Canucks. And we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski Greg about the Devils just because the Devils are Wish's favorite team, his boyhood team, mm-hmm. and he follows them very closely. Then Matt Laughlin, we'll talk to uh, Matt, play-by-play guy for New Jersey, about the Devils. And you know we'll talk to Drance a little bit about the Devils because he's just written an article about the Devils and how they rebuilt their back end and how maybe the Canucks can take something from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been thinking more and more about the quote that Jim Rutherford had in Pierre Lebrun's piece for The Athletic. And maybe I'm making too much of this, but I don't think so because I'm really smart. Mm. And he said that um, we're going to keep pecking away at the Canucks roster. And the full quote is, we'd like to change it overnight, like everybody, which is weird. Hmm. Just like change the whole thing overnight. Oh, really? It's easy. Is that what Faster you too. But we just have to peck away at this and stick with the plan. Now, what that plan is, I don't know. Maybe the plan is to peck away. <laughs> to peck away at this roster. Um, clearly based on the contracts that they've given to JT Miller and Brock Besser and the fact that they haven't yet traded a guy like Bo Horvat and they've said they want to keep Bo Horvat, clearly they've decided to give this core a chance to prove itself. Perhaps they're just going to keep pecking away at it until the offseason or maybe the trade deadline and then reassess at that point 
Like, what's the opposite of pecking away? Sweeping changes or gobbling away at it? Some bigger bird that more like like tears away. Chom- something. Chomping yeah. away at the roster? Yeah, there I, you go. I, I, that would Chomping be, away at yeah. the roster. Big canyon-sized bites out of the roster. Like I a th- duck. You know how they don't chew first? They just swallow things Swallowing. Whole? This is just like we're yeah. going to get real immature soon. Yeah. But like right <laughs> now. Like foie gras. But, but right now, um, the, the, the moves that they're, they're making are – I don't think anyone's sitting there and like hating those moves, but they're they're minor moves. Jack Stanika, uh, Ethan Bear, Riley Stillman. Hopefully, one of those guys you look back and you're like, oh, actually, in fact, that was a major addition. Like for example, I think about the way back in the day when the Canucks made the trade with the Sharks to bring in Christian Erhoff, and we were kind of like, yeah, okay, well, he he's he's got potential, but I don't think anyone picture Christian Ehrhoff turning into as important a player as he did. Maybe Ethan Bear can be that type of player for the Canucks. Who knows? All I know is it's not like they've given up major assets to bring in these players. These are pecking away type moves. Right. And I think the biggest thing to point out here is that outside of fan favorite Jason Dickinson, no one of significance has been removed from the active roster. That, to me, is where... That's a big deal. Right. And you look at this right now, uh, If and again, I don't know the future of Tucker Pullman. It certainly seems murky at this point. But it, it, let's say, for the sake of argument, that the one day this season, Pullman and Dermott are healthy and ready to return. You're looking at a blue line that has upwards of 10, 11 NHL-caliber guys. That numbers game is not going to work. Even if you send a guy to the American League, you really run the risk of losing him on waivers, which is why Carolina never did anything with Bear. They wanted to get something in return for him. Mm -hmm. So there's one thing to consider with the peck, 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 peck away, is they have not yet pecked away to the point where they've made a significant subtraction. Again, all due respect to Jason Dickinson, but was did you see one person, either in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket or in the media, like push back? On on giving up the player, not of course not exactly course right. Not. It was a disaster here, right? It wasn't so. It wasn't anything. It was almost a, a bit of a layup, right? As everyone wanted to see the contract go well, on, and maybe the player. When you think about it, the only thing that this Canucks management group has to do before the end of the season or before the trade deadline is resolve the Horvat situation. Now, this management group has said time and time again that we will not let assets walk away for nothing. They traded Tyler Mott. They re-signed JT Miller, so they didn't have to go into this season with that situation hanging over it. Mm-hmm. What we didn't expect is that the Bo Horvat situation is unresolved, uh, and the season has already started, and that could get extra interesting if the Canucks fight back into a playoff position and you're at the trade deadline, or the Canucks are maybe close to a playoff position, kind of like it was last season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Horvat is still unsigned. It does not sound like things are close right now. And the way the Canucks have started the season, with all due respect, I know they've won two in a row, but they're still 2-5-2. and two. I don't think anyone's sitting there going, ah, we're out of the woods now. You know, it. I, I don't expect a Horvat contract extension to roll in, and I think they'd be crazy to do that right now. To lock into this core even more, I think, would be insanity. So that's one of the things that Jim Rutherford spoke to uh, Pierre Lebrun from The Athletic about in that piece that we're alluding to yesterday. I've got the quote in front of me, actually. Rutherford was asked very specifically about where things are at with Horvat's camp on an extension. Here's the money quote. Uh, the contract... We have a difference of opinion as to where that number lies, and that's where we are at that point. Pierre then asked, is the plan still or is the goal still to get him signed? All Rutherford said was yes. So they're hopeful to get him signed. They still seem relatively far apart on numbers, be it term or salary. And the other number is that it's November 1st. November 1 is a pretty fairly significant date because the amount of days between now and the trade deadline continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And knowing what we know about this front office, I know the Tyler Mott situation might be apples to oranges here, but the fact remains, the philosophy remains the same. They're not going to run the risk of letting an asset walk and not get anything in return for it. And that's what Horvat would be going into the deadline. There's a myriad of things that could go on here, and I'm not exactly sure, but I'll go back to what we said off the top here when we were talking about pecking away. 
There still has not been a significant subtraction from this active roster. Do you think there's any way, even in the back of their minds, that they see Jack Studnika as potential Bo Horvat insurance? Uh, sure, you could talk yourself into it. The Bruins were really high on him, and not too long ago. And Don Sweeney, uh, the general manager for the Bruins, uh, had a few things to say after Jack Studnika was traded. He said his initial onboarding was really good, which makes the Bruins sound like any old corporate mm-hmm. entity. Uh, HR loved him. Yeah. Please pick up your bathroom pass. Yeah. The gals in the typing pool. Do they still have <laughs> typing pools? Yeah. Jason, uh, he said they do. The trajectory was really good. Uh, he said during the COVID year, which was disjointed for a lot of players, he just kind of stalled a little bit. Then it was up and down. Opportunities in and out. No fault of Jack's. Maybe more fault on ours in terms of not being able to get him fully acclimated to the level he had been playing at in the AHL and producing. It is interesting. I, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about whether Studnika could be Horvat insurance. Let's wait to see this kid play a little bit, and we're going to see it tonight. But it is interesting that both Ethan Bears and Jack Studnika's development, it sounds like they were affected by COVID. Studnika, just because that COVID year was so weird, mm-hmm. Uh, and the COVID time was weird. Like, we saw people's development in Vancouver affected. Mikey DiPietro, Jack Rathbone, all those guys. It was just, it just wasn't, they didn't either get enough time or it was just weird. Bouncing around from place to place. Uh, and Ethan Bear, like, he had a pretty serious bout of COVID in his first year with Carolina. And then he just, he just couldn't get back into the lineup last season. Then he asked for a trade, and then this season there was probably no way he was going to get into the lineup, but the Hurricanes needed to get something for him, and eventually they settled on the deal with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, I think maybe instead of looking at it as Studnika being the Horvat insurance, I think the bigger picture might be. Um, you've Now, Lazar doesn't really enter, enter this equation, but as a center, just as a center, and he's signed for three years, that's a pretty lengthy um, – term to put on a guy that's really a bottom six forward. He's going to be there. Uh, the interesting ones are Oman and Studnika because of their age, 22 and 23 years old, right? Say what you will about Horvat, but he's going to be 28 awfully soon. Yeah. Um, the fact that they were both acquired as guys that other organizations passed on, but had pedigree. Mm-hmm. Like there was some hopes for Oman in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken, for sure, right? Yeah. And there were some hopes for Studnika in Boston. We've seen this song and dance play out before. The Benning regime was littered with former high picks and proclamation projects. Right. So don't get me wrong. This isn't anything new, but if you want to take a step back and say, what, how do we fit together the pieces of this puzzle? There may be something to be said that they're simply loading the deck at center with a bunch of gambles and prospects and flyers in the inevitability or eventuality that Horvat isn't around long term. That's where I think that it's interesting to watch what's been played out at center. Well, you can never have enough centers. The funny thing is that Sheldon Dries gets sent down the other day. I thought he played really well on Friday against Pittsburgh. He Mm -hmm. absolutely saved their bacon on one of the power plays where it looked like the Penguins... We're going to go off on a sh- uh, shorthanded odd man rush, and he just kind of made a last-minute play to make sure that that didn't happen, and the Canucks, I believe, later scored on that power play. Now, line. what's confusing this issue in the very present, like today, November 1st against the Devils, is that it's abundantly clear that the Canucks are a better group at forward when JT Miller's playing on the wing and not playing at center. Because when you have, con- again, theoretically, conceptually, when you have Miller, Pedersen, Horvat at center, you have an embarrassment of riches at center, right? Horvat's your 3C. What a great opportunity that is to, you know, maybe move something out. When, Except. When, when when Miller's not there, all it's of a sudden. It's not an embarrassment of riches when JT Miller's playing defense. It's just kind of embarrassing. Right. Like you said, you see the problems with how the <laughs> offense and how the forward group is constructed. So, you know, at a certain point, I think what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to be an acknowledgement from management that, 
there's gonna there's there's a there's a give to get that they're not gonna walk out like bandits on any particular trade because they're probably gonna have to give up a fairly significant or good player in order to fill the gaps that they want. And if it is at the center position, maybe they keep rolling the dice, you know? Or I, I guess in this hypothetical world we're living in where Horvat goes, maybe that's when Miller does slide back into the middle. I don't know. Uh Keith the Grip texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line and he's like, Are we talking about the Bo Horvat the six has, has six goals? Already this season, yeah. yeah l- listen, I, Mike and I are not sitting here and going like Jats, Jack Studnika and Nils Amon are going to replace Bo Horvat. Um, we're asking the question: Do they see those guys as potential insurance in case the Canucks cannot re-sign Bo Horvat? That's the reality that's facing the Canucks right now. They do not have certainty. On Horvat, mm-hmm. they want to keep him, but they cannot afford to overpay him. They've already re-signed J.T. Miller to a pretty significant deal. They need to sign Elias Pettersson in a couple of years. I know the cap's going up a little bit, but it's not like it's doubling. They still need to be very careful in how they allocate their cap space, because I don't know if you've watched the Canucks at all over the last few years. They are not quite a perfect team. No. They still need cap space. They're, caps, they're capped out right now. And, yeah, something will come off the books when Tyler Myers' contract uh, you know, is either traded or expired. They will have cap space created in certain ways, but then they have to, ca- to, to use that cap space efficiently. Bo Horvat is also considered potentially a way that they could get more help on the blue line if they were to trade him at the deadline or if they were to trade him right now. It's a tough situation when you don't have a winning hockey team and the Canucks right now don't have a winning hockey team. There are areas of concern everywhere. Yeah, of course the Canucks would miss Bo Horvat if he wasn't on the Canucks. But they've got to address other areas. they got to be careful. And right now, the way the Canucks have started, and again, they had a good game against Pittsburgh, but let's wait and see how they play the rest of the way. I personally think they'd be insane to commit more to this core. Well, they'd be out of their minds. Yeah, I think that's why the peck, 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 peck approach is probably what will play out over the next little bit. And I also am, I think that this, this management group is far from done. I think that the moves that you saw over the last little bit are just the first in a series of where they've readjusted and realized, okay, maybe the big blockbuster, the big splashy deal isn't here. But if we continue to chip away at this thing, we're going to make enough moves where this group will change in a fundamentally dramatic way. Uh, we got a lot more to get to on the program. Greg Wyshynski is going to join us next. We'll go around the NHL, talk a little bit of Devils as well. Devils Canucks tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. We are here. Until 9 o'clock at 8.30, we have a very special uh, announcement of our own about the Halbro plans for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. So there's a lot more to get to on the program. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. And bruff. Seven oh two on a, a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, We are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks play hockey, but the game is not tonight. We are now giving away tickets to Thursday's game against the Ducks. 7 o'clock Rogers Arena. Text your What We Learned into 650-650. That's the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the Smalt Alternative. It's a what we learned, and you need to add the ticket emoji. You could win a pair of tickets to go see the Ducks and the Canucks play on Thursday if yours is adjudged to be the best 
what we learned. And that's guaranteed win night uh, Thursday at Rogers Arena. If the Canucks do not beat the Anaheim Ducks, Halford will do 500 push-ups. Guaranteed win night. Right. I wish I hadn't signed up for that without knowing what guaranteed win night involved. Push-ups to be completed over the year. I may need those push-ups because today is, of course, the first day after Halloween, and that means eating all the leftover Halloween candy and, of course, stealing the good stuff from my child. Um, We had a couple texts in about this. A lot of people saying that this is maybe the best day of the year for adults. Because true. Yeah, so uh, now we'll start with Greg because you got to take the wee one out for – I mean, I, I don't. She probably can't eat any of the candy, right? It's bad for babies. Yeah, as far as I understand it's basically all ours. So babies yeah, are like yeah. dogs. You can't <laughs> yeah. give them chocolate. That's true. <laughs> babies and dogs. They're, they're, they're lethal like to children. Ob- they like shiny objects. Two types of animals that can't eat chocolate: babies and dogs. Um, a dog. How was your Halloween? Oh, it was great. Now that your Christmas is over, do you have a sense of longing? Do you have like the Christmas post Christmas blues? Oh, not Halloween. Not at all. Because as soon as Halloween ends. It's already time to start planning for Christmas. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not surprising that you also love Christmas. Aren't of you course. a big American Thanksgiving guy, though? Come on. Well, you got to mix that I am, in there. I am a Yank. I'm a dual citizen, so I, I've <laughs> I've grown up with two, two Thanksgivings a year. So, uh, yeah, we always celebrate American Thanksgiving as well. Okay, tonight's game for the Vancouver Canucks against the New Jersey Devils. Canucks are looking to make it three in a row, which would bring their win total on the season to three. That was his uh, abacus he was working on there. Uh, so I'm going to throw out two statistics for you and, and you decide which goalie you would prefer. One of them has a save percentage of 874. That seems bad. The other one has a save percentage of 926. That seems good. Which goalie would you choose to play tonight's game? Jason, I would choose the goalie with the higher (laughs) save percentage. But what if his name was Spencer Martin and the other one was Thatcher Demko? What, what? would you do then? I, I love this game. I love this game. Um, so it is our it is a time honored tradition in Vancouver to have a goalie controversy brewing somewhere. Like, hey, it's good for the team. You know that pot of coffee that just sits in the office and it's there. And if you ever need to go to it, if you ever need coffee, you got it. That's okay. what the goalie controversy is in Vancouver. All I'm I'm going to point out is that the Edmonton Oilers over the weekend. Started Skinner yep. over Jack Campbell in the Battle of Alberta. Pretty big game in that province. Uh, I realize that Jack Campbell is new to the Leafs, so he doesn't have the same cachet as Thatcher Demko would with the Vancouver Canucks. But I do want to uh, bring Laddie into the conversation here because he is our goaltending expert. Um what would you do in this situation? Would you go back to Thatcher Demko, or would you be tempted, or maybe even convinced, to ride the hot hand, if you can call Spencer Martin a hot hand, yeah, and give and give him the start tonight? Well, I would counter your your safe percentage argument, be it the small sample size that it is, uh, with a who's more important to your team's success this year. Spencer Martin being good this year or Thatcher Demko being good this year? I will have you know that Spencer <laughs> Martin has played eight career games for the Vancouver Canucks, and they have gotten a point in, in mm-hmm. every single game. He's well, never lost outright. I believe game. I'm on the side of Thatcher Demko needs to get his game in order. Right. And you need to play in order to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think this early in the season, yes. The points aren't really on the line at this point of the year. I know it's you want to dig out of this hole, but you got to get Demko on. If you're going to make up this ground, you need your best goalie I, to be... I, on track. I'd be surprised if it's not Demko tonight, yeah. but I think if Demko has another poor performance tonight, uh, if he doesn't play well tonight, then you go to Spencer Martin Thursday against Anaheim, especially if the Canucks don't win. How many good games has Demko actually had this season? Um, good, not Carolina. great. Carolina? A couple of them. A couple uh, good, not great. Yeah, a couple good, not but great. But no greats, I don't no. think. Not yet. This is very technical terminology we're using. I'm no NHL coach, but based on Martin's record having never lost, would you not want to play him forever? Because that means the Canucks will win forever. That's That's the kind of logic that we need more of in this market. How do they not see this? How are you not hired by an NHL team? It's right right there. (laughs) It's analytics. (laughs) Come on, guys. Ian Clark, you've been replaced by A-Dog. That's what he goes by. Um, You, Martin, make a save. All right, Skip. I told him to do that. He's made so many of them. It's amazing. No, okay, I, just to, in all seriousness, I don't think it's insane that we're having no. the conversation. 
I because, think it is. No, because Boudreaux. You don't said think the, other, the Canucks are in a bit of a desperate situation right now? Not at the point where you're going to start Martin over Demko. No, I'm not. I'm not at that point yet. <laughs> the, the must. The must win. We're returning it over to our little used backup. No, the conversation. Guys, we've already played like six must win games. I'm thinking the ceiling here. I'm thinking ceiling, and Demko has a much higher ceiling. You guys are thinking too minute in scope. You need to think big no, picture. He's There's, thinking. Laddie's thinking big picture. Big picture is they've got three games. This week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, so a fairly standard rotation. Boudreaux already said we're not just going to wait for back-to-backs to play Martin. Mm-hmm. So it's out there that he might get Thursday against Anaheim. Maybe he doesn't get Saturday against Nashville. But I would say over these next three games at home, he's playing one of them. I don't think it's a straight flush for Demko. So if that's the case, maybe you give him tonight against uh, New Jersey, and then Demko goes Thursday, Saturday. That's not inconceivable or out of the realm of logic. If your head coach has already said, we're not just going to use Spencer Martin as the guy on the second of a back-to-back, right? And that's all we're trying to say here. Now, Andy's theory is the one I really like, which is you should play Martin every game. Until he loses. Until, just keep playing Until the wheels come off. Because maybe right? he'll never lose. And we Again. can also we can argue with us all we want, <laughs> and, and there's logical reasons for why either goalie should start. But a lot of the time, you guys, what it comes down to is what Ian Clark thinks and what the goalies think and how they're feeling at the time. So a lot of these decisions, we don't have all the info into why or how they're going to make all these decisions. No, and and that's fair. And look, again, if you had to bet right now. Demko. Yeah, I I think it's going to be Demko tonight. And it it, it might go Demko-Martin-Demko. Well, it all depends, I think, how he plays tonight. Right. Because to Laddie's point, if Demko plays well tonight, I – Put him right back in there for Thursday, and if he plays well, then I, you know, I d- just keep playing him mm-hmm. until until there's a back to back. The point that Laddie makes is definitely a good one. They have to get Demko going. So they absolutely, um, unless you're you're willing to say that, oh, maybe Spencer Martin's a starter, which nobody is, right? So uh, on the subject of goaltending, one thing Not that- this week, next week next we'll week. actually do the real <laughs> goaltending controversy. Um, when when you talk about the goaltending specifically tonight. I think it is worth mentioning because we're going to talk to Matt Laughlin in a second here, or sorry, at 7.30, about the Devils. But one thing to note about this team is the style that they play. They fire a ton of pucks towards the opposition's net. I don't know if it's an actual um, structural or strategical thing where they're designed to be a high-volume shot team, but it's like 40-plus shots. Well, in, in order five, to do that, you need to have the puck a lot. Exactly, right? So I think you're going to see a certain style and a certain approach from the Devils, which is predicated on being a high-skill team with a lot of good quality offensive forwards. Yeah. Uh, Dougie Hamilton from the back end is probably a guy that has a very high shot total among defensemen. And that could be interesting because I will say Demko has always been a guy, and this is my very novice analysis, so feel free to jump in, but... The guys that do better with a higher shot volume see more pucks. I know Woodley talks about this a long time, uh, for a long time, that one of the knocks, if you can call that on Carolina, I think it was under the Bill Peters teams as well, is that territorially and shot metric-wise, they would put a ton of pressure on teams, and then there would be the one shot against, and the goalie would either be cold or not, having faced a bunch. Or it's a grade-A five-star opportunity. It was was always an odd man rush the other way because – the Hurricanes were so aggressive with their pinching with their D-men mm-hmm. that, you know, the odd time that the pinch doesn't work, then it's a two-on-one. Is the, the worst possible environment you can think of for a goaltender. Right. In terms of statistics. Right. And this, with the Devils, seems to be almost the polar opposite, is that there's going to be a lot of pucks on net. So maybe, again, if you're trying to look or infer what might happen tonight, maybe this will be a good sign for Demko. Maybe this could be one of those games where he really gets it back on track with a high workload and shot total. Well, I'll be curious to see how the Canucks defense looks against this Devils team that has a lot of speed and a lot of energy because they're one of the youngest teams in the NHL. Uh, We just talked to Wish, and he said, you know, they're really good through the neutral zone. They come at you with speed. They've also got a great forecheck. So that's a challenge for a Canucks blue line that has been under the gun. We are going to see Ethan Bear tonight, probably on the third pair with Riley Stillman. Quinn Hughes is going to return, and that's going to be really nice for the Canucks to have because he's clearly still their best puck mover. OEL, who has not looked good this season. He's played some big minutes in the last couple of games, but he has looked hurt, tired, out of shape, 400 years old. I don't know what it is, but 
He doesn't look very good. He's playing him too much. The good news is the good news is is that Quinn Hughes is back, so he won't need to play massive minutes. Uh, OEL will be on his traditional pairing with Tyler Myers. The Canucks again, like they're going to have two newish defensemen in the lineup tonight, and they're going to be paired together, Riley Stillman and Ethan Bear, and we'll see how that pair does. This is going to be a challenge against the New Jersey Devils. So um, just to change directions here, um, let's go around the NHL. We've talked about the Toronto Maple Leafs. We've talked about them with Wish. There's another team that's struggling uh, struggling a little bit. Uh, It's maybe gone under the radar because they don't get a ton of attention in Canada. And their struggles haven't been so bad, maybe until yesterday, that people have kind of taken notice. And that's the St. Louis Blues. Now, I don't know if they're planning to win another Stanley Cup by going worst to first, but uh, the worst part is almost there. They're 3-5-0, and and they've got the same amount of points as the Vancouver Canucks. Granted, they played one fewer game, but they got beaten badly by the LA Kings last night, 5-1. to And Craig Berube, who is one of the more... I think his players do like him, but I think he's a pretty tough coach to play for. Mm -hmm. And we all know that if the St. Louis Blues are going to be successful, they have to play a hard style. According to Craig Berube, they are not willing to play that style right now. Crew didn't play a lot of We're not direct. And if you're not direct and you're not predictable and you're not hungry and you're not desperate out there... You're not. If you don't want to dig in and play hard, you're going to get beat. I don't care what team you're playing, you'll get beat, and that's got to change. Okay, so just to um, further contextualize this, the Blues aren't slumping a little bit. The Blues are in free fall. So that three five and zero record, they started the season three zero and zero, and then everything has fallen off a cliff in the last five games. They've been outscored twenty five to eight over the five games. That's an average score of four, five, one a night. So it's not even close. And it's funny because that refrain that you heard from Craig Berube is also what the players are saying. Yeah, Justin Falk after the game just repeatedly saying, We're not playing with enough effort. We're not playing hard enough. I do wonder, as we look around at other teams that are going in the toilet while the Canucks are on the rise, if, uh, <laughs> if, if Berube's style, because they've said it with coaches that are, hard line and have that very high and you know what the high demand is it's not we got to go out and win it's it's the physically demanding style where you got to play heavy you got to play hard he's begging certain coaches like that like daryl sutter the style you got to check 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 and that can eventually just become too much for the group coach this is too hard yeah really if i mean if you've been doing it for years and you're old and you're tired you don't want to go out and grind every single night you'd like to have a night off or you don't have to be direct by the way the best part of that clip was when he said that he was he was preaching that they were more predictable that's a great part of that clip because that kind of underscores but, but that's kind of enforcing your will on the other team like exactly we're gonna do that's like running the football the st louis blues need to run the ball more effectively uh craig berube also called out the blues top players our top, our, our, you know, our top guys, you know, they got to dig in. They're not digging in enough. They're too soft. We're not direct enough. They're not north enough. They're not going to the net enough. They're not checking hard enough. So uh, Mitch Marner has asked for a meeting with Craig Berube I like uh, it. today. He doesn't like the way that the top players were called out on the Blues. And then Mitch Marner remembered that he doesn't play for the Blues. He plays for the Leafs, and he's yet, got his own problems. Yet he was still upset. He was still <laughs> upset about it. Uh, he's a brain shambles warrior. <laughs> Can I make a point about that, His Marner dad thing? is going to be calling uh, Doug Armstrong, the Can general I, manager for the Blues. That whole thing where he, yes. he, he wa- he's storming off the bench. And then he goes to the equipment guy. You're talking about Marner, Marner, now, by the way. Okay. and says, "I I don't want the oh, I don't want that stick. I, I'm going to break that one." If you're angry and going to smash a stick, you smash the one that's in your hands. True. Why are you going to the equipment guy and picking out a stick? It just it's just pure theater. And do, you, just, do you have a breakable one? Oh my goodness! That just oh, he wasn't actually angry. He was just he wanted to show people that yeah. he's angry. Yeah, um, it was performative. Um, I think the the fan base is really starting to turn on Mitch Marner. Big time. And there was a couple of years ago where he was, you know, everyone loved Mitch Marner. 
uh, and the way he played um, was admirable. He was a very talented player, but he was also defensively responsible. I remember, I think I might have, when I was still voting, allowed to vote, I might have given him a fifth-place fifth Selkie vote, and he deserved it. Like, he got multiple Selkie votes, and which is pretty rare for a winger, but he's just gone from, like, he seems, he's he's got that attitude, and the fan base... Uh, any fan base will really get bothered by this when a player has an attitude of everyone's out to get me. And he seems to have taken that right now. Like the media's out to get him. Uh, the coach is out to get him. So he's got to go do this performative uh, theater and, and, and go break his stick to show how upset he is that the coach benched him for turning the puck over a couple times. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just take it. You know, like you don't have – it just – you know, it just goes to show you how sensitive uh, he is to the criticism in Toronto. And hey, I get it because this Leafs team—the thing the, people say, well, they did this last year, and you know, they always they always come through in the end, and they always make the playoffs. And the, the Leafs probably will make the playoffs. But the thing that adds up is all the criticism. Sure. And it's almost like a relationship where you have these, um, like, you know. It, the relationship goes on and on, and I'm talking about the relationship between the players and the coach, and the and the players and, and the fans, and the players and, and the media. And the more you, you you know this adds up, and you just it just becomes toxic. It becomes like a poisonous relationship. Sure. And then you've got reports coming out from Elliot Freeman that Marner expects changes to happen. Like this Leafs team, just because they bounced back from a bad start last season doesn't mean that's going to happen this season because there's been more history. There's been more history piled on top of this relationship. Well, yeah. I mean, he said it in the clip. When Freach said that it feels like they're running out or they've run out of runway, that's kind of exactly where they're at right now. None of these guys that they are basing this core around are young anymore. Mitch Marner's not young by current NHL standards. Neither is Austin Matthews. John Tavares is straight up old. They've all been there for the better part of five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. This is a team, and it's funny, one of the criticisms I've seen of this Leafs team, especially when they played Anaheim the other night, a lot of people pointed out, they don't even look fast. They don't look like a fast young team anymore. And I was putting my hand up on the couch while I'm watching television, yelling at the screen. I was like, because they're not young anymore. Well, Matthews and Marner are still 25, so they're not old. I'm not uh, saying they're old, but they're not the young, fresh kids on the scene anymore. They're not playing with the sense of, hey, we're just happy to be. Remember that the first two years? Yeah. That team made the playoffs. It was great, right? The future in front of them was rosy. Mm-hmm. They were in the playoffs, and they were going to make further strides as their careers went along. Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews are no further along from their very first playoff appearance to now. Yeah. They haven't made any strides. So I can understand why the relationship feels soured and toxic because you can only keep doing the same thing over and over and over again before well, you look at the other person. You're like, are we still going to do this? And how many times have they, they had to read something or hear something, uh, whether it's media or fans calling them soft mm-hmm. or mentally weak. And then to top it all off, it's exactly what their coach is inferring mm-hmm. at the start of the season. Yeah. So they're probably sitting there going like, you're the guy that's supposed to stick up for us. And you're not doing that now. Now you're turning on us. Yep. So you can see, also, you can see why Sheldon Keefe probably was like, all right, I'll walk back those comments. Like, I'll go out there and I'll stick up for you and I'll say that this is more about managing the media than it was for you guys. If you look back on the comments that Sheldon Keefe made after the Leafs lost to the Arizona Coyotes, there was nothing gray about what he said. He said his elite players didn't play like elite players, and that's why they lost to Arizona. I don't know how he can be like, well, you know, like people read that the wrong way. It's like, what are you talking about? Like you said your elite players didn't play like elite players. Like there's no gray there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So two things on that. One, all signs here pointing to Trots, right? Are we just going to, we may say the quiet part out loud. Well, even the original six comments from Trots. I mean, like, this is oh. obviously shaping up for Barry Trots to come in and play a super clampdown style and then just hope that the individual brilliance of Marners and uh, the Marners and the Matthews and everybody else can get them the goals when they need them in the past. Kind of worked for him on the Islanders. Two, when we're talking about 
uh, coaches calling out their best players, and we played the Barube audio. Put this in your back pocket for later. There's another uh, predictory thing here. He's talking about Ryan O'Reilly. I don't know if you've looked at the numbers on O'Reilly this year, but they are ghastly. He is minus 11, and I know plus minus is the stat that's flawed, whatever. He's eight games, minus 11, one goal, zero assists. He has one point in eight games. And we are talking about a guy that has been a star for them now. Well, I think he's also talking about Jordan Cairo, who, mm-hmm. believe it or not, is minus 13. Now, the big difference between Cairo and O'Reilly is that Cairo is locked up for a long time in St. Louis. Ryan O'Reilly <laughs> is in the last year of a seven-year, $52 million deal. I'm telling you right now, if this keeps trending the way that it does, Ryan O'Reilly is going to be a trade deadline rental at this point. Swap for Horvat. Captain swap. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that would make sense. I, I know. I, while I appreciate your zest for life. I just um, want a captain swap. Well, no, I'm telling you, I, I look at this situation, and Doug Armstrong has gone the other way before, where he's held on to the veteran guys and let them walk in free agency. Yeah. David Backus being Backus, the most notable. Well, Petrangelo got away. Right. I don't think they want to do that again. Oh, I think I think he would. I think he would. <sighs> line you have to get to when you've got these players that are, I mean, O'Reilly's Now, has Riley, O'Reilly done anything of significance in St. Louis? Well, Petrangelo had to. No, I'm, just, I'm joking. O'Reilly won a Stanley Cup. Well, that's so the did great, Petrangelo. Yeah, but that's the great divider between the two of them now is you let Petrangelo walk, and in hindsight, they've been a different team since he left. I'll say that. They've been a, they've been a fundamentally different team since he left, not just because he's a great defenseman, but he was the guy after yeah. Backus left. I don't know if you can do it again. I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't lock up Ryan O'Reilly to a big <laughs> long term contract extension. Him, right? You know, they've already got some older guys on the back end. Justin Falk, Tory Crew, Colton Pareko's nearly thirty, believe it or not. They got these guys locked up. They I don't know. I don't know. Maybe St. Louis is gonna have to do a bit of a retool. Uh, even though they've got some good young players like Jordan Cairo, who's locked up, and Robert Thomas, who's locked up as well. They might just be running out of cap space there frankly, to keep locking these guys up. Uh, lots more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're going to get back into the Canucks talk, but we're going to take a preview of tonight's opponent. New Jersey Devils play-by-play man Matt Laughlin is going to join us next. We'll look ahead to tonight's game, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. It is the Canucks. It is the Devils. You are listening to your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.